It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. This is the Monday episode, and I I, I decided to take a day after Saturday's game to really think about it and process it. And what's hard with the preseason is you really don't want to read too much into anything, especially the first preseason game, but really any of them, because it's not a typical circumstance in a lot of different ways. And so you don't really want to, you know, go in guns blazing and just kind of figure out, okay, well, this is what we learned from that or anything like that. What you're trying to get is a sense with glimpses and little passages of things and knowing that nothing that you see is definitive or permanent or anything like that, especially when players and teams go into the game and individual moments with their own goals, which are not always about winning basketball or anything else. And a great example of that is how the second half started. So the Warriors had played their starters a fair amount, about 20 minutes in the first half, and then they didn't play their starters at all in the second half. And Toronto went with the more quote-unquote normal rotation for the second half. So you're not really comparing apples to apples for either of those teams, but in some ways especially for the Warriors because those backup guys were playing against Toronto's best players who were still certainly trying. And actually that second unit did pretty well during that stretch, which again, don't read too much into that. I think you have to start with Kevin Durant because he's the new addition and everything else. And he definitely looked, you know, I guess out of sorts is probably the right word for it. Early on, had some misses that you don't usually see from him and just a little bit of tightness. And that is to be expected. It's a very different circumstance, not only playing with new teammates, but playing in a new arena. This was the first game that was in Vancouver, I believe, since there was a team in Vancouver. So, you know, there are all those kinds of adjustments and everything else. And there were some nice flashes of the Kevin Durant that we should expect to see during the regular season. Had a nice jump shot, had a, a... it was, I guess it was a form of a chase down block in, I believe it was the second quarter. And so you are really looking for those moments. And I'm sure some people will also read into that early, at least early Durant was taking fewer shots and Clay Thompson took plenty. Clay actually ended the game five of 13 and was very active out there. And we don't know if that is going to be something that continues throughout the season. I was asked, uh, did a radio appearance on 95.7 on Saturday before the game happened. And one of the questions was what's going to happen to Clay? And the honest answer, which I think we all have to say at this point is we don't know because this is a very different circumstance for a player who is an elite talent and especially as an offensive player, and who can be so explosive to 
be the third option on a team and at certain moments the fourth option and in this game he was the biggest beneficiary of him looks he took 11 threes and 13 shots overall so he only took two twos and only got to the line for for one time for two free throws and so he did look comfortable in a couple of drives to the lane more like what we've seen the last couple of years that was a big point of improvement for clay and he was aggressive in taking those shots and that really is one of the takeaways that you can get from this game is that whoever gets those wide open just amazing looks from this offense is going to need to be aggressive about taking them and most days they're probably going to need to make a fair amount of them in order for the Warriors to win. In this game, winning didn't really matter and all that kind of stuff, but that is a good thing to see from Clay and it's not a surprise. I mean that that is what I think we always would have expected from him, but it will be somebody some nights that will be Clay, some nights that'll be Zaza Pachulia. One of the moments in this game that really cracked me up was when Pachulia, he got a pass facing away from the basket, but pretty much right at the basket. And he never even looked to take the shot or just dunk it. He looked for a pass, and, and I think he passed it to Iguodala. And that it, it reminded me of Bogut, but it is important to remember that Pachulia should be able to turn that into something because part of what made Andrew Bogut so hesitant in those spots was that he didn't want to get fouled, and Pachulia doesn't really care because he, he can actually make his free throws. And so that is a, a major difference that we will see over the course of the season, but it could take some time, and you always, well, almost always, in those kind of circumstances, also see a new addition be overly deferential just to to show their desire to fit in and everything like that, and so it isn't really a surprise that, that you'll see that in glimpses and everything else. The other big takeaway, and again, this is not a permanent thing, this is not anything huge like that, and what I led with in my piece for The Athletic after couching everything in caution, just like I did here, was that we saw a first quarter rotation from Coach Kerr that was kind of a microcosm of what many people, including myself, advocate for this team to do in the regular season. And that is by no means a, a, a guideline that that is what they are going to do, but it was good to see. And to clarify that, there are two different parts of it that were important for the most part. One was the first sub was David West for Zaza Pachulia. This aligns with pretty much everything because David West is the most high profile of their big men and has, you know, as, as being that, you know, you kind of want to have him be the first big off. And Pachulia should play the fewest minutes of the starters. So it makes sense that he is the first starter off the court and that you want to keep his spurts a little bit shorter. He's a big guy. You, know, you always really want to do that. And West didn't look amazing during that stretch. Again, don't read too much into that. But one of the real challenges with David West playing center, even with somebody like Draymond Green, who can do the rim protector role just like he does in the lineups when he plays center, is that you want to see West be a more active help defender and rim protector because that is what a stereotypical center does. And so the Warriors might eventually start fiddling around with those lineups and depending on the matchup, giving David West some of the power forwards depending on how the other team wants to run their sets. But Draymond is such a good pick and roll defender that you will want to use that in a lot of circumstances, you know, because he can switch and he can hedge a lot better than David West can. So that is one of the big questions with this team is what are they going to do in those periods of time? So that was the first big one. And then about 30 seconds later, after that sub, they had another stoppage, and that was when Kerr did the move that I've pushed for and, and a couple other people of making the first of the big four to come out Kevin Durant. And the reason why you pull Durant first is so that he can be the first one back in. And the other reason why you do that is because the guy who you're subbing him for 
is Andre Gudala, who has so much chemistry with that main group. I mean, those were four of the five of the death lineup. Those guys fit together in terms of strengths and weaknesses so well. And while Harrison Barnes was the fifth guy last year, you could put a lot of different players from a traditional five to a traditional four or a lot of other things in between, depending on who the opponents are and make that work. So if that is the lineup is Curry, Thompson, Iguodala, Green, and question mark, they'll, they'll do a good job. And so that was a big part of it. But then what made it really interesting is that at the very end of the quarter, Kerr did something that most people who feel that way about Durant would see at the beginning of the second quarter, which was putting Durant back in and having him play with a lineup that is similar to what the Durant stagger could be. And so that group was Sean Livingston, Ian Clark, Iguodala, who had stayed in from the sub, Durant, and David West. And they did pretty well, you know, don't want, again, don't want to read too much into how they did in terms of the other factors that are going on, Toronto's still figuring out everything for themselves, but, you know, they looked all right, and then they made, uh, the same basic group came back at the beginning of the second quarter, but the sub that was made was David West came out and JaVale McGee came in. And while it is still a very open question that I will talk about a little bit later in terms of whether JaVale McGee will make this team, if he does, he makes a lot of sense being the big man with that Durant group because he can rim protect, he can be a straight five in that way, and his ability to rim run can really help that lineup is if Durant is initiating some pick and rolls as well, just because he can suck guys in that way. And a Durant McGee pick and roll is just something that a lot of teams wouldn't be able to deal with. And since he is a threat as a role man, it is different than somebody maybe like Anderson Verjao or some of the other guys that they'll fiddle with in that role in the same way that Festus Azili sometimes struggled in those, in those kind of spots offensively because he's such a non-threat. So it will be an open question if they go to that sort of a thing, what the big man will be. But if JaVale makes the team and then is on the active 13-man roster for various games, he is a really good fit for that spot. And McAdoo is another guy who will probably get tested there and probably will actually be the player who makes the most sense, who makes the roster because of JaVale is still an open question mark in that way. So what did we take away from that? Not a whole heck of a lot. I thought they played pretty well. Ian Clark looked good out there, and so he is going to have to do this dual role at times of being the backup shooting guard, but also being the emergency point guard, running the ball, running the offense sometimes, but also playing a lot off the ball, especially if Durant's going to play with those kind of second unit lineups. Then Clark is going to have a far smaller initiation role because it's going to be Durant and Livingston in those kind of spots. And it was good that they gave KD the reign to actually do a lot in those stretches. And so that was encouraging because you want to see him comfortable in that. And while it's not maybe a part of a big part of the end game for this Warriors team, it will be a nice transition point for him, which is a big part of why I've pushed for it from the beginning. It's just a little bit of continuity. And as was in a piece I wrote for The Athletic a couple weeks ago, Durant led Thunder units. So when Westbrook wasn't out there, did pretty well offensively. I think they, off the top of my head, I think they had like 108 per 100 possessions. And that's quite good. You know, that's a very good offense. And so you could argue that this Warriors team can have some better offensive lineups than that, just in terms of pure talent, depending on who they decide to go with in those spots. So seeing how that works over the next couple games, especially if they use it against the Clippers on Tuesday, will be notable. And it's preseason, but it's good to see that. And they'll probably try some different things over the next couple games. I've gone 11 minutes and haven't mentioned the darling of Warriors Twitter during this game, and that's Patrick McCaw. McCaw looked really good. And 
the the through line for him with Saturday's game and Summer League is that he looked like he belonged. And that is high praise for a guy who is just starting in the NBA. And I don't know that he looked necessarily better than Ian Clark, but there is a big question with McCaw that is challenging for the Warriors in a different way than really has happened before, especially since Kevon Looney didn't really play last year because of his in, because of his dual hip surgeries. And that is, do you want to have him spend most of his time with the Santa Cruz Warriors where he can play more and theoretically get a different kind of development, or do you want him to spend more time with the big squad in Oakland? And at certain points, that's not a big choice because while the teams are separated a little bit geographically, it's not too much. But you also have to remember that travel is a big component in this because both the Warriors and the Golden State Warriors and the Santa Cruz Warriors travel. So the front office, the coaching staff will have to make a more cogent decision. And what I took away from from this game in terms of McCaw beyond his five steals and he had 11 points, a lot of which came in that fourth quarter when Toronto had all their, you know, was more of the, their equivalent of a garbage time lineup. But that's important too, because that's most of what McCaw is going to be playing unless he takes the backup two guard spot from Ian Clark. And he looked good. He looked comfortable out there. His steals were great. He had five of them in the game. He had four assists. He had one nice pass. I think it was in the second quarter to David West that showed a nice piece of vision. There were actually a couple similar passes James Harden made for those who watched the Rockets Shanghai Sharks game, which was on Sunday. And, you know, getting it to the guy in the right spot where he has a little bit of space to make a, to make a nice finish is very important. And that's a level of patience and vision that you're looking for from anybody. And so if McCaw can show that he is worthy of spot minutes on the lineup and then being there for garbage time and that they think that's better for his development, it is a notable thing for more reasons than just that he's closer than a lot of guys who are picked in the second round are in their in their rookie year. It also affects the way that they think about the 15th roster spot. And I do not know because I haven't heard anything, don't know if it was asked after the game Vancouver, I watched the game from home in the Bay Area, whether there was an explanation for why Elliot Williams didn't play. But I'm not going to read too much into that. It's, you know, there are a lot of things that that can be there for, for why that didn't happen. But irrespective of that, what makes this interesting is that if McCaw is good enough to fill the role that they maybe intended for Elliot Williams to fill as being the stopgap at the two, then you can think about that last spot differently. And that is, especially if... um, Damian Jones and maybe even Looney too aren't a hundred percent at the start of the season could be another reason to have JaVale on the team at the very beginning because he has a non-guaranteed contract so if you try it out for a little bit wait until those guys get back then you can cut him and find somebody else from the D-League and just kind of cycle through you can do a lot of different things and you don't have to make it as permanent thing. You don't have to do that with Elliot Williams either, but there's less of a need. And as somebody who believes that the Warriors have bigger potential issues at the one and at the three, because Elliot's pretty much a straight two, that it would be better for them to look at other guys. And none of the real kind of periphery, more of the Santa Cruz Warriors players that are on the Warriors roster right now, meaning Elgin Cook, Scott Wood, Cameron Jones or Phil Pressy, those guys in the time like from when I was looking at it, they didn't really look and say, oh man, this person should be on the main roster this year. But you know, they could be good players in Santa Cruz. It's not knocking them at all. It's it would be rare for a guy like that to really pop as a 15th guy in that kind of a setting. It's just not something that normally happens. So we don't know how much to read into this Pat McCaw thing, but he is certainly a talent. And if he can learn from players like Iguodala on the main roster, it could be a substantial flexibility improvement for the Warriors, especially when you think about that there are only two 
two inactive spots, and you probably want at least one of those to go to a center because they just have so many centers on this team and they don't really need all of those guys up for any game. And so they can be more creative with that last roster spot. And it probably won't matter in terms of a championship, in terms of what that last roster spot is, but it can help with a game or two and you never really know how that's going to affect it. So McCall looked good. That's important to note. We'll see how it happens over the next couple of games and everything else, but encouraging at the very least. Another encouraging thing was that it looked like Stephen Curry's burst was back, and he didn't have a great game from the field, shot two of six, shot one of five from three, but again, you're looking for glimpses. You're not looking for that statistical picture, and there were a couple plays where he really did have that burst where he got into the lane and the defense had to adjust to it. He didn't attack switches as much as I would like, though that can be situation that can be personal. Like there was one time when he had Jared Sullinger on him and his eyes didn't light up like like they usually do. But that burst to get into the lane to create separation, that was the biggest thing that was missing during the playoff run when he was not himself. The thing that I noticed was that he wasn't creating that separation inside the three-point line. And if he can do that, that's a good indicator that he is 100% or close to it. And the Warriors need that. Stephen Curry is a special, special player, and so they need that sort of a, a a baseline for him so that they can go through the season. And if he's there or close to it at the beginning of October, then that's a good sign that three weeks from now, as long as he stays healthy and, let's say, unscathed, that that can stay the case. And so, really, that's one of the goals of the preseason is to make sure that every everyone who's important is right, however they define that, for the start of the season. And that doesn't have to be now. Like, there are guys... Draymond talked about this, I think it was at his exit interview uh, with the Warriors before Team USA, about how one of the things that he learned after the title was that players don't have to... You don't have to be 100% like in shape. They use the term like in form, I think, in soccer more often at the start of camp. You don't have to be there. You can use camp to get there. And that is even more important for players on this team because they had a long playoff run went deep, deep, deep into June. And then also a fair amount of them had international commitments. I mean, three guys that were on the Olympic team for the United States. Ferrejao, you know, wanted to play for Brazil, but then he had the back issues, which if you listen to the Media Day podcast, he talked about that. And now he's not all the way back. And I believe he only played about five minutes in this game. So that would align pretty well with that. So you want to take that time to get there. And there isn't a rush to do it and that just allows the players to have a little bit more rest and recuperation over the summer and those guys need it I mean I'm sure it killed Steph a little bit to not be with the Team USA guys but if he starts the season strong I'm betting that he'll feel it's worth it especially if he can be on the Olympic team in 2020. So the other notable takeaway beyond the hilarity that was Andre Godala doing a behind-the-back pass to Steph, who was sitting on the bench and making a three, which, or attempting a three, he actually missed it. That was interesting, was that we did get a very, very small look into the new version of the death lineup, whatever it's going to be called. I've been calling it the Deathstroke lineup, partially because I'm a little bit of a comic nerd, and I, I think Deathstroke is kind of appropriate because of the villainness and everything like that. But it wasn't, you know, they looked fine. It wasn't a circumstance where they dominated, like, oh, they went on a 10-0 run against Toronto starters and it looked like they're going to be a force to be reckoned with but they did something that was very important and that's they created reliably good looks for each other and one of the great testaments to a successful offense is not as much the results it's about what you are generating because that is what transfers more and they were very good in transition 
and they did a nice job of generating open looks. Some of the best shots that Kevin Durant took during his stretch in the game were during those, I think it was about five minutes, where Draymond was playing center, Durant was playing the four. And that makes complete sense because most teams don't have the personnel to match up with that. And, you know, Pascal Siakam did well in this game overall, but really one of the weaknesses for the Raptors in terms of their big man rotation is that they don't have those kinds of like stretchy, flexible defensive league power forwards and centers. So it wasn't really a true test in any way, shape or form, but it was still good to see. And so the Warriors play again on Tuesday against the Clippers, and it will be worthwhile to kind of take a look on all of these dynamics in terms of how they how they play out over another game. Will Kerr use this opportunity, which is also the first game at Oracle with Durant there, to run something different, to you know change up the rotations, maybe try something that there have been some rumors about of having Durant and Thompson together in the stagger as opposed to it being kind of three and one. And that would be fun. It'd be interesting to see how that happens if it does. And so trying different things out there because the regular season is not really considered a laboratory for every team, though I I firmly believe that the Warriors should treat it that way. But the preseason always is. You know, that's something that is not revolutionary to any coach, especially not Steve Kerr. So expect to see some things that are different, but look for any commonalities. Look for how the 15th man looks to shake out Patrick McCaw, everything like that. I'll probably do a little bit of a preview of that game in the episode that will come out on Tuesday, on Tuesday morning, Monday night. But, you know, it, it's a preseason game, so it, it's not that big in that way. So thank you so mu- much to everybody who's helped participate. I tweeted out over the weekend. I was really, really excited that less than three weeks in, we were ranked in the top 200. I think it was actually 170th when I saw it on iTunes, which is fantastic. iTunes does incorporate like newness is is something that that they do like so if a podcast comes you know kind of starts and it gets some get some downloads get some buzz that really does help but it's awesome it still it makes you feel really good about it i remember when that happened with dunked on it was phenomenal and so the other thing that really helps with that are ratings and reviews especially if i'm talking about itunes ratings that means itunes and subscriptions because then you download every episode and downloads do really matter so All of those things really help. If you have any feedback, positive, negative, in between, you can send it to me at Daniel LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, on Twitter or DanielLaRueMBA at gmail.com. I read everything, respond to as much as I can. Also, since this is an episode that I'm recording on Sunday night and it's coming out Monday morning, if you are a Bay Area sports fan, you should definitely check out Locked On Raiders and Locked On Niners. Though, as a born and raised Niners fan, maybe if, if that's cathartic for you, listen to it, maybe download it, give it a day or two, and then listen to it because it, I'm sure it'll be great with John Lund, but it will take some time to be ready for that, just considering considering what happened in that game against the Cowboys and, you know, everything like that. But it's fun to have Bay Area sports that's going to be really exciting. Of course, for those of you who are Giants fans, the Giants making the playoffs into the wildcard game, that will be a fun thing to watch on Wednesday, fortunately, between the Warriors preseason games. So those of us who care about those two teams will be able to watch both. So that will be exciting. And it's it's going to be a good week, two, two preseason games this week, one at Oracle, one at the SAP Center, mostly known as the Shark Tank in San Jose. So it will be good to see this team playing with more frequency. And then I think they'll have a little bit of time off. The schedule's a little bit weird. I think they have more than a week between games at one point. But it's the preseason, so there are a lot of other things that they're working on. But I hope you 
gave that game a, a watch since it was on NBA TV. It was good to be able to have that experience. I believe Tuesday's game is on television, but Thursday's game is not, but I'm not completely sure about that. And I'm pretty sure every game, though, is airing on 95.7 on the radio, so you can listen to it at the, at the bare minimum. But thank you so much for listening to this. I mean, it's been a lot of fun, and now that we're getting into actual games, I'm probably going to have a guest on after Tuesday's game, and we're working on the timing now of that, so that'll be fun. And that is going to try, I'm going to try to make that the MO of this show, is that the, the episodes after the games will have, we'll have a guest or have kind of my own breakdown of analysis, but the preseason is going to work differently for a couple of reasons. One, I'm figuring out my own format. And secondly, because guest availability can be different because everybody's figuring it out. And in this game, I was home and a lot of other people were coming back from Vancouver. So that got a little bit more complicated, but I appreciate you sticking with it. I've rolled for about 25 minutes now, so I really do appreciate that. If you want to listen to it um, for Real Jam Radio, which is my my solo podcast as a part of Real GM, the Western Conference Over-Unders, which is a podcast I do with Arturo Galetti, that will come out either Monday or Tuesday, and it's always a lot of fun. The Warriors are towards the end of it because we went in order of regular season record last year, so the Warriors had the best records there towards the end, and the Eastern Conference, one of that, is already out, as is the Eastern Conference over under dunked on podcast which uh came out just now and nate and i recorded it over the weekend while he is in london on vacation so thank you so much to everybody for listening to this and anything else you do take care and make it a great day san jose sharks hockey is back and we've got you covered five days a week at locked on sharks i'm kyle demetrius i'm jd young eric Fowl. together we make sure you're never without your sharks programming will the sharks make a trade for a right winger we got you covered will eric carlson's groin hold up for the entire season we've got you covered whatever happens with team teal every day we've got you covered at locked on sharks five days a week on the locked on podcast network this is josh lloyd the host of the locked on fantasy basketball podcast the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world, if you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.